0: I'm Michael Heyman and you're listening to Changemakers. Joining me today is Andrew Rowan. The managing director of the Innovation Centre and co working space in the heart of East London, Plexel. Part of the Heery's campus in the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park, Plexel supercharges collaboration, working with government and the UK's best and brightest startups and scale ups to foster a new era of innovation and solve the challenges that matter most to society. Andrew was part of the founding team that secured heries 200 year lease from the London Legacy Development Corporation to transform the former press and broadcast centre at the Olympic Park into an ecosystem and community that delivers on the legacy of the game. A decade on, and the campus is now a home to almost 4,000 people working and studying on site, changing the face of East London by opening up new opportunities to the wider community. Andrew, welcome to Changemakers. A real pleasure to have you on the show. Let's start off with your tip for life build a network of collaborators, be kind to them, and ask for help every once in a while. Give us a little a sort of intro there in terms of the advice piece that you've given as a way of saying hello to listeners.
1: Um, firstly, thank you very much for having me, Michael. It's a real honor. So, I mean, that Little tip around building a network of collaborators. I think it's both true of my now twenty-year career, but also true of my everyday life that I live in in Plexil. I think it's especially important when I when I reflect around my journey and the you know success and failure that I've had along the way. I've always been conscious of serving others. So whether that be Mm -hmm. serving as an employee and colleague or serving as a leader and making sure that the the kind of balance of trade between me and my network was all I was always very conscious of and making sure that I was I was cognizant of what I could provide and the value I could create for others. So that when I needed value, when I needed support and assistance that that I knew I could rely on on others to provide it. When I think about important career moments over the last 20 years, it's it's always been my network that creates opportunities for me sometimes in a way i wouldn't expect or or um, anticipate but always in a way where th- there's that level of trust if your network's doing mm. something with you for you or to you there's that level of trust that's implicit within it now if i reflect on my everyday experience in flexible now it is all about networks so it's yeah. all about the ecosystem of public and private big and small and making sure that your conscious of where value can be created in that network so something that's been true to my character and personality throughout my career is now actually the core competence of what we do I wanted to
0: frame Plexa for us because I think it's it's quite difficult if you've never been there to understand how important collaboration is not only as a as a metaphor, but actually as the DNA for everything that Plexel is about. Bring it to life for listeners in terms of, I suppose, this supercharged space for collaboration.
1: Ten years ago, when Gavin Poole and I... The team around us were planning what Here East could be. It was all about creating this campus for innovation and creativity. And within that, you bring together industry, academia, government, and innovators. Plexel emerged as extremely important in that vision because it is the platform for collaboration and it's where the innovators spiritually live and sometimes actually live. So Plexel effectively does two things. So firstly, it's a physical home for over 100 businesses, big and small. All of them are technology-inspired and driving the the next wave of the economy, whether that be through the business model they adopt or the technology that they're using or or building. And then importantly, a consultancy that focuses on government-led innovation. So where we obsess about public policy, about market intervention, about industrial strategy, where we can support public sector to achieve its goals by enabling private sector to engage. That model, I think, is increasingly relevant at this moment where we've undoubtedly got an interventionist government and we've got some of the biggest challenges of our time
0: and, and i suppose a good example of that would be something like cyber security as a as a day-to-day issue that that people might think about well, where where does that kind of cross-section actually find expression you're doing a lot of 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 work in that space bring that to life as well as what that actually means in terms of the day-to-day vibe the day-to-day sort of things that actually go on
1: yeah, so i mean a busy day in Plexel means typically a journey to east london so you know you <sniffs> being part of a community where there's this inherent energy and spirit, whether or not you're working with a member company or with a large tech company, there's this energy and and excitement about the place. And I think we've held on to that throughout COVID, and it's one Mm. of the things I'm most proud of. Lots of engagement with government departments, lots of thinking about policy, where it pertains to innovation and technology, and where that might be going, and lots of thinking about the pervasiveness of some of the subject matter we think about. So you've mentioned cybersecurity here, but equally, we could be talking about artificial intelligence or digital identity and they, they tend to impact many many sectors many many sections of society so there's lots of thinking about how our offer of ecosystem building and then innovation programs can apply to create benefit in those contexts.
0: Now one of the things I always think about when I think about Plexil and I think about the here east campus more widely is that scale is a big part of this it feels like in a city like London where space is often the biggest single problem for any growing company to overcome. It feels that you're in a part of the world where that space is a big part of its draw, a big part of the thinking big, a big part of the the scaling up of innovation in terms of where you might expect to see world-class companies and innovations coming from. Do you ever get to a point where actually you run out of space? Or do you just think that you've actually got such a sort of big project that this is the sort of thing that can keep growing and growing across this very, very long 200-year lease that you've got from the London Legacy Development
1: Corporation. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to reflect being 10 years on from the Olympics and the moment where this dream emerged. I do think the kind of phases of our delivery, both here, East and Plexel, where initially and purposefully we were all focused about local impact. So the social regeneration impact the Olympic investment can have around creating employment and education opportunities for those who otherwise might not have it. That phase, I think we've got real great foundation we're starting to see the delivery of it now, every day. I think now we're established and you know, itself is four and a half years old now. We're now having national and international impact. But we don't forget about the local community and the obligations we took on originally. So and, grounded. Well, absolutely. And, and humble in, in the way we deliver it. At least that's the intent. But I think, I think seeing that every day is such a motivator because you, you get to touch and talk to the people that you're collaborating with and hopefully then combining with to cause benefit for those, you know, who were targeted originally, but you're also having really important international impact on technology and innovation It's the balance of those two things, which is really superb.
0: Mm. I mean, you mentioned the four and a half years of, of, of the, of the story of Plexel. And before we came on air, you talked about, well, actually we, we've had to come of age in COVID. I mean, tell us a little bit about what, you know, you, you talked there about also about the kind of the, the physicality of the place, the ability to collaborate, see, each other work with each other how how has covid had an effect on that in terms of having you know basically half of that story in times of lockdown
1: yeah, I mean, it's been fundamental, literally. My management team and I made some really critical decisions quite early on in March 2020. We committed to each other and our members, we would not close the doors for one single day. Now, the reason we chose to do that was was a few. So firstly, deploying a health and safety regime that prioritised public health and the health of our customers. Given the scale we've got, some of the operational routines we've got, we, we believe that that was possible and, and that was endorsed by our members. Secondarily, some of our our members are hardware-based companies, so deploying things like robotic solutions at next to your kitchen table is somewhat impossible. So we wanted to make sure that we, we stayed relevant and present for them. And thirdly, we've got a large number of social enterprises who, who pivoted into literally helping local communities through you know, pr- preparation of food packs for the vulnerable, for example. So that community, albeit it became very low in number, we stayed open and relevant to. I think the symbolism of us not closing our doors really helped our relationship with our community. Now, that said, we supported those companies who couldn't afford to pay their bills during that period of time and and made sure that we were a flexible and responsible um, supplier to them. But that mentality, first of all, meant that we were kind of always on. There wasn't that moment, even in our consulting business where 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 we forgot about our client exactly so as a result of that our kind of conceptual return to work was July 2020 and I still see competitor businesses today who are talking about return to work now and that was almost 18 months ago and I I think that mentality has really come across to our clients both in the consulting product and the workspace product Mm -hmm. and I think as a result we've really strode forward during that period of time
0: well and I suppose what this brings us on to is a discussion about you know wh- where the future takes us what the future of work will be how collaboration spaces will will evolve before we do that though and I was... I was reading a, uh, an article which quoted a U.S. Department of Labor statistic that said that, that two thirds of, of primary school kids would go on to take on jobs that have no current job description. You're a very good example of that, Andrew, aren't you? I mean, I can't imagine that you know going back in your own story that actually you know you, you would have said, "Well, I'm going to I'm going to help foster a new era of innovation and help create a sort of collaboration space called Plexel." I mean. In terms of what gets you to that space, in terms of how you sort of like get to Plexel and how that, I, I suppose, impacts your kind of view of the world and view of the future, Let, let's just spend a moment on that.
1: Yeah. So I've, when I reflect back, I didn't have the, Cognicity to be able to do this previously, but I think I've always been in search of mission, whatever that mission is, but something mm-hmm. to buy into and something to commit behind to put my effort into and then inspire others to engage it. And I think my career story has always been about a search for that mission. And in the lower ebbs of my career, when mission is not as obvious or not as noble. I'd often sign out and move on to the next thing. And when mission is at its peak and you know most impactful, would be the moments where I'd you know bounce out of bed at five o'clock in the morning, and you know you'd, you'd have to stop me getting to the office to try and try and make make an impact. So I, I think the reason I've ended up where I am, and hopefully continuing down similar paths, is the inspiration that I collect from buying into government mission. In this case, so mm-hmm. firstly olympic legacy that you know couldn't have been clearer in terms of what the intent was and now now today you know the next generation of science and technology for the uk whether it be for government purposes industry purposes or the citizen i see that as our mission and and we can almost stand behind the public servants and and share their obligation and intent and deliver in a, a really efficient and agile way
0: but i suppose making a difference then is a big Absolutely. part of of mission, and of course, a lot a lot of people who um, might listen to a show like this might, might be here precisely because they want to find how they actually do capture that sense of mission. I mean, are the decisions that you make along the way that help you understand when you are part of a mission, either because it's something that you've seen that you like the look of, or actually something that you might have within that you want to build yourself. I mean, on that sense of of personal mission. How how did it find consciousness? How did it find expression and then I suppose action in in your own case?
1: I think it's only recently I've recognised the behaviour and I don't think I've had the self-awareness in prior parts of my career to really realise what is going on in my psyche. And I think in the let's say first half of my career, I was just always nudging my way towards the interesting and, and impactful mission by way of building network, going back to the first point of the conversation, and by way of showing interest and maybe you know putting the extra yards in and you know to get in front of a particular leader to you know to seek engagement. I think in the second half of my career, I was probably triggered by the the moment where the Hiri's project came together. I think realizing that you don't have to wait for permission to get yourself involved. With the mission, you know, a particularly one as grandiose as a you know UK government and you know decades worth of social progress that actually you could be a willing participant on that journey Mm -hmm. and no one will take you away from that journey. You've just got to find your niche within it where you can when you're adding value, then you can start to build it into something that that potentially is monetizable but and engaging.
0: And and it's interesting because you know you're working between the juxtaposition of, of public policy and government and and business. And of course a lot of people when they look to change will often compare and contrast, you know, when you look at the arrival of a generation of purpose-led business leaders that see themselves as problem solvers for issues as diverse as as climate through to social justice. But you also see another side of life where people say, well, if you want to get change done, you know it's got to be through through government and I suppose where you're living is the intersection of actually well what happens when those two meet. Tell us a little bit about that in terms of the the culture creation and in terms of I suppose that the can-do that you need to get any sort of innovation above and beyond the concept through to being something that actually gets done and gets delivered.
1: So uh, the vast majority of the work we do is inspired by public policy and civil servants but the actors who genuinely will cause the change tend to be either citizens or or private industry so we almost face looking outwards from government to those stakeholders i think that for me is a really comfortable place to be because i think we can then interpret policy and then create value propositions for either the citizen or private industry to buy Mm. into and it becomes about mutual gain. And I think often the citizen and private industry looks in at government and sees this very complex behemoth machine that often they can't see progress being caused. And I think we're we're this... know, niche operator, but with this enabler of progress where we break down the barriers between the two. And, you know, it feels like a very needed but comfortable place to be.
0: And I I suppose progress is about not just what you work on, but the society that you're helping build. And it, it feels like we might be on the verge of a very quick future, if you like, in terms of we heard the health secretary just last week talking about technologies that might help provide the cures to cancer. We're looking at a world of autonomous machines we're looking at the 100 year life, we're looking at a lot of things that I suppose, you know, a place like Plexel was made for in terms of providing the, the, those innovation breakthroughs. I guess though, if that's the feel good, there is also the feel bad of a world that feels quite troubled at the moment, and actually how you feel about the future and how you bring people with you. And I I, I may ask the question, Andrew, because, you know, you, you're working in a place that, that 10 years ago, it felt like the very epitome of feel good, you know, the, the London Olympic Park, and I wonder if you had a perspective on that in terms of the role of technology and and the role of innovation and the role of collaboration in terms of, I suppose, reachieving those those high notes in terms of positivity about the future.
1: I think there's a really good example currently being played out in the the media um, around online safety. And when we think about the ages of the Internet, you know, first 92 to 2000, probably the, the one way library you know, it was open for business. In the early 2000s, the social media generation starts to emerge and this this user-to-user style engagement. In the last decade, probably more about the risk presented by things like cyber and, and, you know, the threat of how the internet could be weaponized. I think online safety starts a new generation that I think will be painful, but also leads to some optimism around the future of the internet, where we understand that that society can't continue with, with a weaponized internet and we must sophisticate to the point where both legislation and technology and innovation are applied to make it a safer place for everyone. And I think this, this is a necessary stage. I think we're going through where, you know, whether it be online safety or the, all the efforts towards net zero and the planning that goes into it. But I think we need to go through these, these moments of maturity where we just recognise we can't act in the way that, you know, open source and always on internet as an as That's, very,
0: that's a very interesting concept because it's almost like like the seven ages of people, you know, that, yeah. that idea that you know well actually digital might be going through exactly the same exactly the same phases. I suppose what comes next, Andrew? That's that's the sort of uh, middle age grumpiness. Or so, I mean, what, what what's the what, what's yeah. next for the dig, for the digital revolution? I guess
1: without posing too grandiose a question, but I think the next decade is all about defining whether the digital age can be defined by borders because some of these debates structures law laws you know policies just can't be played out at the national level they have to be at an international level to have any effect at all when you think about how the internet is used and i, th- and I think that's a really important moment because it potentially disempowers like, you know the government whether that you know any nation's government but starts to require other bodies to emerge on an international basis to play that you know rulemaker and arbiter so i think that is a very important moment coming
0: and i suppose the thing is is that there are it feels like there are a lot of things that come that come next whether you know and to what degree they've been driven by by covid or by by technology who knows but it it, it it's you know one element is how digital will change us but of course how we choose to work together um, may, may change. I mean, you know, you, you were established as a co-working space before a time of, of pandemics. Now we talk much more about hybrid working in terms of in terms of the way forward. Is that is that a healthy thing, do you think? Or do you, do you feel that actually there is an element of something we might have lost? I mean, I noticed that you talked about in your lockdown list that your new, new normal is back to the commute and enjoying the physical and mental separation between home and work. I mean, give us a little sense of, of what there is to play for here.
1: I do. I think it is very important culturally for organizations and communities to get that balance right. Now, I'm certainly an advocate of hybrid working where. One travels to the office for a purpose rather than a routine. And I think COVID will provide a much healthier and balanced society as a result of that. I think it means the physical space needs to change. So it needs to think a lot more about what is collaboration and therefore, you know, what physical infrastructure do you need to be in play? But I do think there's there's some really interesting debates and and proof points that I think will emerge over the course of the next few years as hybrid working starts to bed in in whichever way each organisation chooses to adopt it. And it's kind of back to the original point I made around networks, around career development in the context of hybrid working, I think is going to be a really interesting point, together with diversity and inclusion. It's actually, you know, in the predominantly hybrid working environment where junior individuals don't have the opportunity to engage with more senior individuals face-to-face, it's going to make it a lot more difficult to motivate and impress. I think, you know, how do you keep yourself front of mind when you think about your career opportunities and where they go, or do we produce a kind of project style engagement between employer and employee where... Uh, where uh
0: and I, suppose, I suppose there's also this, this physicality and the sort of work that you're doing. You know, whether it's you know we mentioned cyber, cyber strategy or, or, or whether it's the future of AI or whatever whatever it might be, is that the need to bring people together to huddle on on, on the issues, the problems. I mean, that, that's not going to go away, is it? No,
1: I, and it can happen physically or virtually. My personal preference is for physical, just I, I get so much more about a whiteboard in the room, a pen in the hand, uh, you know, opportunity to show energy and engage with Mm. people which you can't i can't get on video Mm. but i do recognize it can happen virtually as well Mm. sometimes the technology needs to catch up i think to provide that experience
0: i mean you mentioned the word energy um which I think, brings us towards the latter part of our conversation together. Because, of course, you work in a, an area which is much debated at the moment in terms of the energy that the Olympic Park delivered. Did it did it live up to its promise? Did it deliver for that locality that you spoke about? When you look at legacy and energy um, from that founding team at Here East that you were a part of a decade ago to where you are today, what's your sense of that project in terms of what it's delivered?
1: Personally, I'm so proud of it. I think Gavin Poole, who I know has been on a previous um, version or episode of Changemakers, and I made some really bold commitments early on that we took on as personal obligations to deliver and We've stayed there ever since and we've made sure personally that that those things will be delivered, not always easily and not always without resistance, but we've made sure that we took personal ownership of it and and while others around us moved around and and saw different change, we've made sure we were the mainstays. I think a decade is probably too short a period of time in order to judge success or failure, um, albeit... I think from a Here Eastern Plexel perspective, I think we've established something that has surpassed our own expectations even though they were high mm. and also surpassed the commitments that that we made.
0: So it's interesting about about time because you know you look at you look at other cities that have, have hosted the olympics and and of course you know you can go 20 30 years later and and see ghost towns i mean you certainly don't see that when you look out from stratford and you look out across the 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 historic part but i suppose the question is is about how, how we feel about that because you know I, I sort of mentioned in an earlier question is that, that that 2012 seemed to unlock something in the national spirit of a you know a, a city and a country that felt very at ease with itself and very confident about the future i suppose Without the risk of, of rose-tinted glasses, that, that I suppose it, it it was something that we seek to recapture for for the future. And given that your quote for life to us is "you get what you measure," what can you measure about that future? Do you think, Andrew, that you know that unknowable future that that gets you to feel that change is possible? Um, that change is something that we can continue to create for positive and progressive ends
1: If it's not too bold or biased a suggestion I, I actually think the most important thing the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park in London will have created when the annals of time are reviewed will not be the 2012 Games and I think that's where I take the most pride that the impact that projects like Here East, Plexal, and that what is going on at East Bank around the cultural development are creating such fundamental infrastructure for London.
0: I mean, that's such an interesting question, point, isn't it, that you've raised, which is that we we might not look back as the Olympics as being, you know, as, as, as only being a pit stop on the journey. So, okay, so what does it create then, Andrew, in terms of that, if that was the trailer, what does the movie look like?
1: So I think it creates a new position, a new permanent position in the London technology scene so a home that will be grown from and and, um, exceed expectations over time Uh, but most importantly it triggers a real example of the new economy so where collaboration is key where multiple sectors coming together will achieve outcomes where they wouldn't on their own and where governments academics innovators and in industry can cohabit. And I think if we get what we're intending to write at Here Standard Plexol in a, another decade or two's time, we will be an internationally notable cluster, mm. um, delivering impact on, on the international stage. And does that give
0: you a sense of confidence then about the overall... UK technology proposition I mean presumably you see yourself as part of the jigsaw of pieces that will be part of a a national proposition in a world that may well need some of that expertise I
1: guess definitely and we're in the middle of a debate at the moment around the the value of sovereignty versus capability and actually in some instances securing best-in-class global capability should exceed having a you know sovereign product homegrown and I think Really important role Plex will play players to manage that seesaw to make sure we're creating economic value for the nation, but also we're making sure we have the tools in our armoury to be best in class for our industries, for our citizens. And I think that needs to be, those debates need to happen at the minute level, but also at the macro level as well. And getting things like the London Stock Exchange as a very attractive place for companies to list is a really important thing. Getting the relationship between academia and industry working again, super important and getting access to skills and talent, the best in class skills and talent. It's couldn't be more important for a successful London and UK taxi. Mm.
0: And and just the last question, if I may. I mean, now, you, you, you used that phrase earlier on about a normal day at Plexel, and, and I'm also thinking about this great quote for life, you get what you measure. Have you measured those days over the four and a half years you've built them in terms of the... The sense of of progress, the sense of outputs that, um, that, that, that Plex has actually delivered.
1: I think this example might be the best reflection of my personality, but it's the sublime and the ridiculous that, that I'm really obsessed by. I go back to the launch of London Tech Week in 2019, and we were um, so fortunate to be the host with a very notorious audience, which I think Michael, you were in, and we were lucky enough to have a keynote by the then Prime Minister Theresa May the day before that so Sunday afternoon I was in Plexon making sure that all the preparations were there a bunch of colleagues were around me working extremely hard and it was whatever it takes so I was actually painting a wall probably about 16 hours before having a round table with Theresa May and business leaders around the UK that's the organisation I want to work for and I I want to lead people who will roll their sleeves up and get to anything possible to present an absolutely outstanding outcome to
0: get it it done you know there is there is a certain vips presidents monarchs all the rest of it is that, that they believe that actually the world smells of fresh paint because there are lots of people like andrew rowan painting those walls thank you so much andrew for sharing your story and the short the story of Plexel, but also i think the glimpse about what's next the shape of things to come thank you so much for joining me on change makers thank you change makers is brought to you by the campaign's firm seven hills and presented by me michael hayman Your Being is the name of our soundtrack and it's written and performed by the brilliant BT Wolf. To find out more, head over to changemakers.works and if you like what you hear, why not give us a rating?